So Jesus is at the end of this Sermon on the Mount. And he's been talking, if you remember, he's been addressing this sermon to his disciples. He called his disciples to himself. He sat down the position you would have taken in that day to teach. And he begins to explain these things to the disciples, but for the benefit of the multitudes who are listening to him. And he wants all that heard him to understand what does it look like to live in God's kingdom? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And as we get to the end of this first sermon that we're looking at, of of Jesus' sermons, we see that what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, there's decisions that need to be made. There's a response that needs to happen. There's consequences to your choices as you've heard these things. And if you've heard these things, if you've been with us over the last couple months as we've talked about this and you've heard these things, I believe the Holy Spirit would say to you, there's decisions that need to be made. That we need to think about what Jesus has said and how we're going to respond to Him. So basically what I want to do with you guys today is I want to, I want to kind of point out three main decisions that we have to make in response to what Jesus taught us here. So if we pick it up in verse 13, Jesus says clearly, Enter by the narrow gate. He says, For wide is the gate and broad is the way or the path that leads to destruction. And the first question we have to ask ourselves in hearing what Jesus has to say is, Whose path are we going to follow? Now, understand something here. We we first need to know uh, how we enter the path. How does each path begin? When he talks about this broad gate or this wide gate, please know every one of us have already entered in the wide gate. We've already done that. We're born on that path, you might say. We're born to a place where we just kind of enter in doing what everybody else does. Everyone is in the same boat before God When they're born, we're all born into sin. We have a sinful nature that shows itself in the fact that we don't love God the way He deserves and we don't love each other the way we're called to. We're we're born with that sinful nature. So in in a real sense, all of us kind of begin at that place, this wide place. But He calls those who would listen to Him, Jesus calls those who would hear Him to begin this path going through the narrow gate. It's interesting because when he says this, there was probably a picture in the minds of his audience of not a fence, a wooden fence that had maybe a small gate to get through, but probably a passageway, an area where they would maybe be moving animals from from one location to another location. And in these desert spots, there would be these canyons that they would bring these animals through. And often these canyons get very, very narrow. But they're a great place to lead your sheep through because once they get through there, That can be blocked and the sheep are safe. And it's this picture of bringing these animals through one animal at a time. It's so narrow the place would be that you can only enter one at a time. And I believe this is what Jesus, the picture he's wanting to to bring up. It's the idea that we enter through this, this narrow passage one at a time. And it has to do with, it begins with, who we say Jesus is. Do you remember what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. And so they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets had all these different ideas of who Jesus might be. 
But then Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? And what happens? Simon Peter answers for himself, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus is saying, okay, what's the public opinions? Great. Okay, heard those, I get that. But who do you say that I am? Jesus says to each of us, who do you say that I am? What are you doing with Jesus? That's where the path begins. This is what makes us different. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is first and foremost, who do you say Jesus is? Do you believe that he is as he revealed himself to be? Do you believe that he is God's only begotten son? Do you believe he's the savior of the world and for your sins specifically? Who do you say that he is? But also, listen, the same guy, Peter, who says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says later on, after he's denied Jesus, been restored by Jesus, and then filled with the Spirit of Christ at Pentecost, here's what he says about Jesus. This is in Acts chapter 4. Peter says, For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scripture. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is the thing about Jesus that we have to keep in mind. We can't play games with. Jesus makes some very exclusive claims about himself. And the people who knew him best, his disciples, backed up those claims. They preached those same claims. That Jesus isn't just a way to God. He's the way to God. He isn't just a Savior, He's the Savior. That the path that He calls us to walk begins with us recognizing who He is and why we need Him specifically and how we're going to relate to Him. So we need to know where this path begins. But also, listen, we need to know what this path entails. If we're going to, you know, decide, okay, whose path we're going to follow, we need to know what's going to be on the path. Notice that Jesus says, listen, he says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And he, says, and he says, difficult is the way that leads to life. What does he mean? Well, by broad, here's what I believe he means. I believe he means this idea that, <clears throat> that when it comes to the broad path, the path that does lead to destruction, which we'll talk about what that means in a second, but that that path is simply people doing what they want to do. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament book of Judges, but the, the book of Judges ends with this statement. It's speaking of God's people, and this is a negative, by the way, in case you think this is a good thing. This is a negative, according to Scripture. It ends this way. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That, that was the problem with God's people, the nation of Israel at that time. They did what was right in their own eyes. I believe this is what Jesus is referring to. He's referring to this broad land of people just going, well, I think it means this, or I think God wants this, or I think this, and we're all kind of just doing what we think is right. That's the broad way. What's the difficult way then? Well, I believe the difficult way is understanding that when God calls us to walk, all the things that Jesus calls us to do, none of those things ever give us a sense that we're earning our own way. Listen to this. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm quoting from the New Living Translation because I like the way it says it. Listen to this. It says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things which we have done. So none of us can boast about it. 
For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Notice, so we can do good things He planned for us long ago. Now, do you understand what Paul's saying there? He's saying that here's the reality. We can't do anything that earns us any position before God. If we are saved, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're not ever saved by our works. One of the things that's so difficult about walking with Jesus is we can't take any credit for it. It's hard on our pride. it's, It's not flattering. That's the thing about the good news about Jesus. It's great news about Jesus. It's bad news about us. It's never flattering. And it's difficult. For even even if somehow, by some radical sovereign thing of God, that we avoid the biggest difficulties in life, and we have a pretty easy life, not much persecution, not much poverty. Even if for some reason our life is pretty smooth, guess what? It's always going to be difficult in the sense of we cannot take credit for what God's done for us. All we can say is thanks, Lord. And that includes, listen, the good works He's prepared us for. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not on the screen, but just listen. Paul, in talking about his own calling as an apostle, as a sent one of God, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he says, and I labored more than all the other apostles, but it wasn't I, but the grace of God in me. This is the thing, this is, this is why, listen, people think, okay, I know who Jesus is, the path begins there, I trust Jesus, but the rest, you know what, it's kind of up to me, I've got to start doing this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this, and in doing so, you know what ends up happening? They're actually not walking the path, not the narrow path, they're walking a broad path. Oh, it might be very religious, but it's a broad path. We've got to know what it entails. God never calls us to a walk that puts our focus on us. He calls us to a walk that keeps our focus on Him. Lord, without You, I can do nothing. It is a walk. It is good works. God does call us to do good things. He's got good things planned for us to do. People to love. People to reach. Sacrifices to be made, a God to be worshipped. He's called us to these good works, but listen, those good works do not add anything to our salvation. They simply express the salvation that we've received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what makes it so narrow. This is what makes it so offensive to people. You know, people ask, they, they, people ask me, they say, okay. Are you trying to say that Jesus is the only way to God? I believe there's a God, but you got, how can you say that that, really, that sincere person, that real sincere person, how could you say that that person isn't right with God? I remember a, a workmate of mine asking me once, hey, my grandma went to church all the time, and she said those born-agains, they're weird. You know, but she was a, a church girl. Are you trying to say, my nice gran, my nice nan, she's not in heaven? It's a, kind of a hard question to answer, isn't it? Yes, I didn't know your grand, but she's in hell right now. How do you answer that question? But I had to say to this person, I said, listen, I didn't know your nan. I'm sure she was nicer than you even knew. But here's the reality. None of us are ever good enough to approach God. That's why God had to send Jesus for us. Because he loves us so much. That's why he has to change us from the inside out. That's why Jesus said, not me. He said, you must be born again. 
This is the difficulty of the way. It never gets to the point where like, I got it from here, Lord. I got this. Thank you. Thanks for saving me. The rest is up to me. It never gets there. Though we, get, we do that sometimes, don't we? That's what, that's what uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, right? Having begun in the Spirit, are you going to be so foolish to be perfected in the flesh? God started the work, but you're going to finish it? Really? That ain't going to happen. It's got to be a work that God does, which is why it makes it difficult, because we feel at times so helpless. But Lord, I want to see something happen. I don't know. What if you don't do anything? God's saying, trust me. I know it's tough, but trust me. But also, we need to know, listen, if we're going to choose which path we're going to follow, we need to know which, where each path ends. The broad path, he says, ends in destruction. I'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to the end of today and even a little bit more about this when we get into uh, what's called the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. But let me just say this for now. Destruction means what it says. It is the loss of every good thing. People say, what's hell going to be like? I have no idea. I don't want to know. But I have a sense that not only is it painful and horrible because Jesus talks about it that way, but also, listen, it is the removal of every good and every perfect gift. Do you know why? Because every good and every perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. Even if you don't believe in this Jesus stuff, even if you think this stuff is a bit weird and nutty, guess what? That's still where the good things in your life come from. And all those things are lost when we refuse God, we say, God, we want you out of our life. Eventually, what happens is there's a time when God says, okay, I'll let you have what you want. But that means all the good things that flow from who I am, they're not available to you anymore. That's destruction. What's life then? Life is also a loss. The path that leads to life, the narrow path, the difficult path, also is a path of loss. You lose Everything that brings destruction. This is why it's diff- one of the reasons it's difficult. God calls things out of our lives that bring death to us. He, he says you have to let go of that. Why? Because it's bad. Do you guys realize God doesn't say it's bad because it's forbidden? He says it's forbidden because it's bad. I didn't tell my kids, don't run out between cars and the street because I thought, hey, you know what? That looks too fun. No more fun for you. I didn't want them to get squished. That's why I would yell them, no, get back here now. You do not run between cars. Because I love them. It was forbidden because it was bad. Whose path are you going to follow? Look at verse 15. Here's the second question we have to answer. Second decision we have to make. Whose message will you trust? Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now this idea of sheep's clothing isn't that, oh, look at me, I'm a sheep per se. It's more of, look at me, I'm a shepherd. Because if you're a shepherd, guess where you get your clothing from? The wool that you trim off your sheep. That's how it happens. Oh, look at me, I'm a shepherd. Now, what he's saying is really clear, and again, we're going to unpack this more when we get to Matthew 24. But what he's saying here is pretty plain. He's saying, listen, some look like shepherds, but they're actually wolves. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the animal shows when the predator 
gets a hold of the prey. It ain't pretty. It's not a pretty picture. But this is kind of the picture that Jesus is painting for us. He's saying, listen, people look like they're shepherds, but they're actually wolves. They are hunting to tear apart and consume. Again, Simon Peter would write this in his epistle. Listen to this. This is Peter writing in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, But there were also false prophets in Israel. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, there are also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. And they will, they will cleverly teach destructive heresies, deny the master who bought them. You notice that? That's talking about Jesus. One of the things that you know if something's heresy, if it's off, is if they deny who Jesus is, that He's God the Son, but also that He came in real human flesh. Those are two important issues. But also, who denied the master who bought them. If they de-emphasize that Christ has finished the work, He's purchased us by His own precious blood. Peter writes, In this way they will bring sudden destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their evil teachings, notice, and shameful immorality. One of the things that also characterizes false teachers is that they fall into wicked sin and they are unrepentive. And because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. Now, I don't know, I don't want to be too, too rude here, but does that sound like a lot of what we see on religious television? Look, I, I know there's probably some guys on there that are decent, but the majority of people that I hear being quoted or the books being propagated or the memes on Facebook are these guys who are on the God channel who do these things that are wrong and bogus. They're just fleecing God's sheep for money. They're involved in all kinds of immoral things, both financially and physically. And yet we, we watch them. Why? Because they've got big churches and flashy, put on flashy shows. Nothing wrong with big church. But Jesus warns us, his followers warn us, look, this is what happens. You've got to be careful whose message you're listening to. Now, Jesus goes on to say, and he uses this, this illustration. He says, look, you're going to know them. Literally, you're going to recognize them by their fruit. He says it twice in verse 16 and in verse 20. You're going to recognize these guys by their fruit. And he says really plainly, good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. In other words, the fruit shows the root. That's what he's saying. Now, here, here's what's happening. Jesus is either assuming these guys know what good and bad is, that it's obvious, they'll recognize it, or, or he's going to clarify that later on. I think it's a bit of both. I think there's a bit of common sense that if, if the God of Israel is who's revealed himself to be in the Scriptures, he's not going to act like those guys. And of course, most of who Jesus is teaching in this section are Jewish, so they would have known how Israel had a history of having these false shepherds, these bad leaders who manipulated the people. But also, I, I want you to understand something here, okay? There, there is a way that we recognize. I want to share just two quick verses with you about how we might recognize when someone's you know, uh, teaching something that's good or something bad. The first one's here in Romans chapter 16. Let me read it to you. Paul writes, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions 
and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away for them, from them, for such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now, what does he mean by divisions? Now, you'll see that I put there. That's not in the Scripture. That's me, my little parentheses there. I'm calling divisions Jesus plus religion. The reason for that is that we know Paul in divisions is talking about those who are basically, who were the Judaizers. These were Jewish believers who are creeping in the churches and saying, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be, you Gentiles, you need to also be circumcised, you need to keep the law of Moses. In other words, listen, they believed, yeah, got to believe in Jesus, plus keep all these religious things. So it was Jesus plus religion. That's a false gospel. But also notice what he says about these same people. He says they also, listen, he says they don't just bring in cause divisions, but they also put obstacles. Again, in the context, Paul talks a lot about these guys who think, hey, you can, you can follow Jesus and just pretty much do what you want because they're grace. These guys, what they preach is Jesus minus repentance. Oh man, you're gonna, you don't have to turn from your sin. Just confess. God forgives. It's cool. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is, it's good news. You can turn to God. You can be turned. You can be changed from the inside out. That's repentance. It's not a one-time gig. It's a daily thing. It's part of faith. God, I've messed up again. Forgive me. I didn't love you there the way I should have, or I didn't love these people the way I should have. Forgive me. I'm turning back to you. Cleanse me again from my own righteousness and change my heart more. That's repentance. So if, if, if you are exposing yourselves, listen, to the kind of teaching that basically is saying, hey, it's, it's, it's Jesus plus a bunch of other things. You know how you know this? Because your focus is on those other things. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. Jesus plus tithing, Jesus plus church, church attendance, Jesus plus this degree, Jesus plus this ministry, Jesus plus this deed. False gospel. But also, if, if these guys you're sitting under aren't teaching you that, listen, God calls all men everywhere to repent, to turn away from their sin and turn to God, that's also a heresy. That's also a false gospel. Now, I know some of you are thinking, man, that's harsh. But others, you, other of you are thinking, that's not harsh enough. Be more specific. Name names, John. Come on, name names. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, not because I think it's always wrong. There's definitely a place for that. But I'm not going to do that because I want you guys, as a pastor, I want you guys to know what God's Word says and be discerning. You have a choice to make. Whose message are you going to trust? Jesus says, listen, he says in John chapter 8, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. How do you value this book? If you value this book as the, the means that God's going to use to interact with you, 
if you look at what Jesus has to say and you say, Lord, I want to follow you, not just letters on a page, but you who live. I want to follow you. You're his disciples indeed. Now, we read this last question, the last decision we need to think about and make. Whose authority will you submit to? Whose authority will you submit to? Listen, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And then Jesus talks about these people whom he will declare, this is some of the scariest words you can hear in Scripture, he will declare to these people, I never knew you. Listen, here's what these people said they were involved in. They say to him on that day, on judgment day, they say to Jesus, we prophesied in your name. In Jesus' name, here's what God says. We cast out demons in your name. People were writhing and, and, and under demon oppression and we said, be gone in Jesus' name. And demons were cast out. We did many wonders. That would be like miraculous signs. In your name, we said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And they were healed. Lord, how could you say you never knew me? Now, let me just be clear before I say what I need to say on this. We believe in prophecy that God does speak specific words for specific people at specific times. We believe that. I'm the pastor of this church because God confirmed that call through a prophetic word. We believe that there's times for demons to be cast out. It's real stuff. And that has to be done by the power of Jesus. It happens today. We believe in miracles. God still does miracles. Absolutely, God supernaturally heals people still today. The point is this, listen. When we talk about submitting to authority, just imitating power does not equal submitting to authority. Listen to this. Again, this is what Paul writes to Thessalonians. Listen to this. Paul, speaking here probably of the Antichrist, he says, this man will come to do the work of Satan, notice, with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse, notice here's why, here's why they get susceptible to this, they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Do you know why people get into wacky stuff or why people believe someone just because they do a miracle? Because they don't want to believe the truth. This is why we do this. We get deceived because we don't want to believe what God says. Listen, man, I'm not going to divide with any other church about how they think the work of the Spirit is supposed to be. It's a secondary issue. They don't have to agree with us. We don't have to agree with them. But we definitely got to believe on Jesus. We definitely have to agree on Jesus, don't we? And if, if, man, I'll tell you what, if we agree about Jesus and they're exalting Jesus and God's doing more supernatural stuff through them, praise God. That's cool. I'm not jealous. I'm happy. I'm blessed that God's using His people. But then the same thing goes for other churches that don't do any of that. If they're exalting Jesus and people are coming to faith in Jesus, I don't care if they're imitating this power or not. See, it's not about power. It's about authority. Who are we submitting to? Are we submitting to the Jesus of the Bible? And then Jesus says this in 24, verse 24 to 27. He, he says, listen, anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them he says, it's like a person who's building his house on the rock. Now, I want you to notice in this 
story or in this metaphor, Jesus says, he makes it pretty plainly, you have two kinds of people and they're both building. In other words, they're both building houses. They're both building their lives. One's not building and one is not is building. It's not, it's not, they're both building. And guess what else? They both go through storms. So he's not talking about the need to build. He's not talking about avoiding the storms of life. He's saying, guess what? Both kinds of people experience this. He's saying one type of person is building on the rock. That is who Jesus is and what Jesus says. They're doing what Jesus says. And the other one is, yeah, I hear what Jesus says, but they're not doing it. Now you need to, to know, in that day when they would build houses, they, sort of the area uh, uh, where, where Jesus was referring to here, um, this area of kind of Palestine, the, the, the ground was like this hard-packed sand. So, so if you stepped on it, it would feel solid. It would just kind of feel dusty and solid. But if you started to dig in it, it would get really loose. It would start loosening up. And you had to kind of dig down, sometimes as, as far as 25 or 30 feet before you actually hit bedrock. Usually it was probably at six foot, but they'd have to dig all the sandy, loose, silty soil out, and then they'd hit bedrock where you couldn't dig anymore, and they would build their, their pylons, the foundations of their house, onto that rock. And they'd go up from there, and then they'd build their house on top of that. Sometimes they'd turn that bottom bit into a basement, sometimes they'd just fill it back up with earth. But it was the fact that it was grounded onto that bedrock that meant it wouldn't fall over when the, you know, the, the floodwaters would come and these new streams would create a path through these sandy, dry soil. Now he's talking about this issue of authority. See, if we see Jesus as just a good teacher, then we can listen to him and not necessarily do what he says. We can listen to him and go, yeah, Jesus is cool. He, he did some good stuff. I love all that love stuff. That love stuff's good. Yeah, I like that. But if he is Lord, if he is God the Son, creator, sustainer of the universe, God take on flesh. If he is the one who has a right to tell us what we should do with our lives, then we can't just listen and go, that's a nice idea, Jesus. We have to say whatever you say. Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I gotta do. You're Lord, you know better than me. See, building our house, building our lives on the rock is recognizing his authority to tell us what to do. This is the response he's calling us to. Remember, this is not, you've got to do what he says to do because this is how you earn your position with God. This is how you earn your relationship with God. This is how you earn your salvation. No, but this is what it means to be in relationship with God. One of the things that that a lot of parents have to deal with as their kids become teenagers is they have to have this kind of conversation. Some of your parents might recognize this. Some of your kids might recognize this. This conversation that says, you're not doing that in my house. You know what I'm talking about? I see all these embarrassed young people. (laughs) You're not doing that in my house. And what that means is, listen, if you live here, you're, not li- you're living here and obedient, being obedient to me doesn't make you my child, but if you're my child in my house, you've got to do what I say. That's not a surprise to anyone, is it? Until that father is God our Father and that big brother is Jesus and we've got to do what he says. Then all of a sudden it's like, whoa. 
Now, let, me under, let me make sure you understand something because I know that we want to sort of push back when it comes to authority, but let me be clear, okay? Jesus is saying this. He wants to make sure we see this. Authority, listen, authority is foundational. How you see authority is foundational to your life. Every single person, every one of us here, everyone out there, everyone you will ever meet is building their life based on authority. If they're Western, if they've grown up in a Western culture, they're building their authority on this, or building their foundation on this. It's the individual is the foundation. Western culture sees individual as foundation. They might say, my goals are my authority. It's, it's what I, I, I need to do with my life. It's my life. I've got to do what I want to do. I've got one life to live, YOLO and all that, and you know what? <laughs> this is, these are my goals. This is how I have to live. That's what we see in a general sense, Western-wise. So basically what happens is how I want to live my life, I want to live my life. This is why sometimes if, if you're from an Eastern culture, if you're visiting this country for school or something, let me say, this is why sometimes people give you that, that, that puppy look. You know the puppy look? The, when you say stuff like, I'm not sure if my parents would want me to do that. They're thinking, your parents are like way far away. Who cares what your parents want you to do? Because in, 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 in Western culture, it's what you want to do that matters. What about Eastern culture? Eastern culture sees family as foundation. They might say, it's my parents' honor that's my authority. I've got to do what my parents expect of me. And if I don't do what my parents expect of me, everything falls apart. This is why... Western people, British people, the students that come over here look at us like, when we say, well, my mom doesn't like what I'm doing, but you know what, I don't care. I'm going to live my life for me. They go, wow, where's that at? They're shocked by it. Now, I know I'm really generalizing here, and I know there's a mix between there, and some of you might go, I'm not really sure if I'm Western or Eastern. I feel like I got both, but you know what I'm saying here, don't you? These are ways, these are authorities that we build our life on. These are authorities that we set for foundations. Maybe you started off with, I've got to do what my parents want me to do. And now it's evolved into, I've got to do what I want to do. Those are both foundations you're building your life on. Those are both authority issues. There's another option. That's what Christianity is about. In Christianity, Jesus is the foundation. I'm building my life on Jesus. Now, this might be a little bit of a shock to you if you think about this, because some of you might say, yeah, that's true, amen. But let me ask you this. Would you say you're a Christian and still not build your life on Jesus? Because this is what Jesus is saying you can't do. He's saying the decision you have to make is who is the authority in your life. And Jesus does not let us say, okay, Lord, you can be one of the authorities. You can be one of the multitude of my counselors that help me build my life. No, that's just, you're making yourself, your goals, your foundation. Okay, Lord, I'll let you speak into me as long as you don't ask me to do something that goes against my parents. No, 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 then that's not following Jesus. That is basically saying, no, my parents are still the, the authority of my life. No, listen, Jesus is calling every one of us to have him as our foundation. God is my authority. I've got to do what he says. 
And I want to do what he says because I believe he's as good as he shows himself to be in Jesus. He's that generous. He's that patient. He's that loving. He's that able. Now Jesus says this and he kind of finishes the Sermon on the Mount with this and what happens to the people that are hearing him, right? All right, this is, now this is not the disciples, right? The disciples were probably still scratching their heads a bit, but the, they were acting like they knew it was going down. <laughs> but the multitudes that were listening, here's what happens, verse 28. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. That literally this means they were beside themselves. They were like, oh, their minds are blown. What did we just hear? What did he just call us to decide about? Did he actually say our life has to be built on him? They're blown away because here's why. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. See, the scribes who were the shepherds, often in, you know, in what were really ravenous wolves, right? These guys, these scribes, what they would do is they would say, well, you know, I think it's this, you know, or maybe he gets against this, and, you know, oh no, and everything was just this intellectual exercise. No decisions were ever made about really anything except for that they, the scribes, were in charge. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, you know what's interesting about Jesus? Even though Jesus would quote Scripture, and he definitely honored the Old Testament Scripture, we saw that earlier in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? What did we see him doing over and over again? You have heard it said, but I say. He equated his words with Scripture, the very words of God. I want you to turn to Revelation 21. I'm going to close there. So you're in Matthew. Go all the way towards the back of your Bible to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Not Revelations, Revelation chapter 21. See, Jesus taught with authority (coughs) because he is God's authority. He's God's chosen king. That's what Christ means. And he didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. You realize if you read specifically, if you read the, the Gospel of Mark, Mark's Gospel is written to a Roman audience. And the Romans were really big into authority. Big into action. We want to see things get done. And so Mark presents Jesus as this man of action. This man of authority. And shows him clearly as Jesus having authority over sickness, right? He heals all kinds of diseases. He heals people who are born blind. And people are blown away by it. He has authority over sickness. (laughs) He has authority over nature, right? Massive storm on the Sea of Galilee. He and his disciples are in it. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. They're like, Lord, we're going to die. He gets up and says, be still. Now I'm going back to sleep. Authority over creation. Authority over nature. Jesus has authority over death. He raises people from the dead. That's that's more than a good trick, you know what I'm saying? He raised himself from the dead. 
Jesus has authority over sin. He could say to people, you are forgiven. And they could know that God's cleansed them from all their unrighteousness. All those things demonstrate God's authority. So when he teaches with authority, it shouldn't surprise us. And listen, all those things show the goodness of God's authority. That's why we're in Revelation chapter 21. Notice Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And notice, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's the authority of Jesus. That's what it looks like when Jesus rules. And he says to us, this side of heaven coming down, he says to us, you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make. Whose path will you follow? Whose message will you trust? Whose authority will you submit to?